Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 20, Improbable Cause, teleplay by Renee Echeverria and directed by Avery Brooks, and Episode 21, The Dias Cast, teleplay by Ronald D. Moore and directed by David Livingston. These episodes aired on April 24th and May 1st, 1995, respectively. These weeks on Deep Space Nine... Odo began an investigation after a bomb destroys Garrick's tailor shop. The Cardassian Romulan fleet enters the Gamma Quadrant, and Sisko goes against Starfleet orders to rescue Odo. Dun dun dun! We have ourselves a late season two parter. We do. <laughs> There's a second there. I was like, "Oh, are they talking?" And I can't hear them, or are they just going <laughs> to the next thing? I was just, just debating what to say. <laughs> that'll happen so elise did you or did you not remember these episodes um not really but the first time i rewatched it was three weeks ago and i remembered it again today from three weeks ago so that's about it that's all you're getting from me i mean that feels like a technicality Um, (laughs) no it definitely is a technicality um, we So I watched the episode a few weeks ago because we were debating whether to cover them together or separately, and it just made more sense because it's one full story to cover these episodes together. I don't think either one has enough meat to warrant its own episode, which is something that Karen mentioned when... She visited on um, this past tense two-parter that a lot of these two-parters really feel like one and a half episodes each. Yeah, and what's interesting about that specifically in this case is it kind of is an episode and a half. Um, originally, it wasn't conceived as a as a two-parter, was just going to be the single episode Improbable Cause, and the writer's room couldn't couldn't find an ending that they found completely satisfactory that like stood up to how how good they felt the rest of the episode was um the original ending that they had landed on and were close to putting into production was that you know, when Garrick makes that joke to Bashir when he's he's leaving about if he goes into his quarters and finds this isolinear rod and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then the punchline is that he has to eat it and he's just toying with Julian. That was sincere. And that was going to be how um, Odo and Garrick got, got out of the mess because he would tell Tane that this info on, that he had on Tane was going to be released. And they felt that that was just a little too hokey or writer's device yeah, or whatever I, I always think like bribery is fun sometimes but other times it's just like not worth it and not a good plot device at all well yeah and, and it's just like structurally is existing in that story just so they can have an ending right like right and it's yeah it's like oh hiding in the floorboards or whatever um and it was actually <laughs> i just watched actually... the force awakens yesterday so like hiding in floorboards is actually on my mind um since ray and finn hid in the millennium falcon anyway 
Right. And it was actually, no, no, that's fine. And it was actually Michael Piller who suggested that they make the episode a, a two-parter. And so that that was the genesis of that. But they actually shot these out of order because it's so late in production, the decision to make this story two parts, they're already in pre-production on last week's episode through the looking glass. Right. So they filmed a probable cause, filmed through the looking glass, and then concluded the, the story after with the die is cast. I don't remember if I said it on on a microphone, but I wonder if that's related to the issue I had when I went to go watch Through the Looking Glass originally on iTunes. It started playing Improbable Cause, and then I like, but it had said that the title was Through the Looking Glass, so it was very confusing. Um, and I ended up just watching the last these three episodes on Paramount Plus because I didn't want to figure it out. And I'm wondering if there was something about, okay, well, they maybe had the production order or something. Yeah, that that sounds like the case, right? When they were creating the catalog and it not matching the copy or whatever. I should, I should write them a strongly worded letter about their mistake. <laughs> I won't. Yeah, I mean, you could. Maybe send an email, yeah. actually. Or maybe you can get a bit of a discount. Who knows? Maybe we'll <laughs> find you a bit. So the story, as it was originally pitched by the the two writers who get the story by credit on Improbable Cause, was that the central Garrick story was going to be tied back to the an earlier episode, but it was going to be second skin, and this was Garrick was going to suffer blowback from his killing of of Entech when they rescue rescue Kira. Right. But instead the episode ends up being tied to another earlier episode, the one that we, we covered. I think Ryan was on that podcast. Um, the episode Defiant, that was the, the Tom Riker stolen Defiant episode. Right. And you'll remember that the Obsidian Order didn't want um, Central Command or the Federation to find out what was going on in that one sector while yes. they're building this fleet secretly. And that was actually Romulans. something that came to my mind as I was watching this episode because I'm like, the Obsidian Order is not supposed to have these military vessels. And I remember it from them discussing it in that previous episode. Yeah. So, like, I think in terms of as we're rounding towards the, the home stretch of season three, we're starting to see more and more, I think, at times like this, that serialized story te- storytelling, right? That that carries over from, from episode to episode being somewhat distinct from what folks were more familiar with from Star Trek at the time, which was very episodic. And like the, epi- the, the singular episodes and the episodic nature of Star Trek of this era isn't going to go away, but definitely things like this remind me more of modern TV and modern TV storytelling than something you would see in 1995. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So as I mentioned before, this is definitely a Garrick-centric episode. So Elise, I'm curious, how do you feel about a Garrick-centric episode? <laughs> I love a Garrick-centric episode. Um, and boy, is this a Garrick-centric episode. How many times can we say the word centric? Um, I love it. I feel like we get a lot more about what type of person he is, where his loyalties lie, even though he's still very mysterious. Um, he's constantly manipulating everyone. 
I just, I love it. Although I don't know that he's manipulating Bashir as much as he used to be. I think he just is nor- is like himself with him. I want to come back to that thought. But as like, this is probably, and I mean, my memory is generally shit. But like, this is probably <laughs> the most Garrick-centric episode I think we've had to date, right? There's I would been agree. ones where like, we've learned things about Garrick and Garrick mm-hmm. has been... A large part of the the plot or helps you know a mystery be un, yeah. unveiled and unraveled and whatever but like i think this is we're we're starting to examine garrick with a, like a little bit more depth and in in watching these episodes um i was trying to create like a thesis statement <laughs> basically about as why do. we as as i was gonna say as one does but no you're right it's as i do um and as to why possible reasons why why garrick is so popular and such like a strong character on the show um at the time of this recording i'm about halfway through my guest programming series at my local indie theater and we started the series last week with the billy wilder film the apartment and in the apartment, you see a lot of Wilder's criticisms of capitalism and American life. And they're coming from, as a writer, his outsider perspective as as an immigrant, as someone not born in the United States and, you know, coming later. Right. So, like, the argument there, and you could even argue that this goes back to, you know, the apartment being 1960, going back to, you know, the 40s with noir and again fritz lang being a a german expressionist filmmaker who came over to to american film and german expressionism being foundational to film noir um but again having that kind of outsider perspective to see american life for what it is warts you know the good the bad etc etc and it led me to look at garrick via a similar lens where he sees and is allowed and more importantly for the sake of the show allowed to comment on what the federation actually is at times in contrast to someone like bashir who is maybe too close to it because he's he's a part of that society and had has been socialized into it and you know etc etc right I think that is interesting. Um, and I think it would be it would add the fact that Garrick has lived a whole other life prior to being on Deep Space Nine. So he's had a lot of experience with various forms of government, likely in his previous role in the Obsidian Order. Um, he's I would say he's worldly. So his opinion or comments on this feel warranted because he's been experiencing other things as opposed to someone who like there's someone from the outside coming in and commenting where you're like you don't know all the nuances so please shut up and then there's someone who is worldly and knows a lot about things where you're like okay maybe I can talk to this person about what's going on because they are familiar with the way things run And so I feel Garrick falls into that later category where, like, I wouldn't be too offended if I had a conversation where he was, like, talking about how shitty America was (laughs) or something like that, if that makes any sense. Um, I do want to say that there was an interesting conversation that Bashir and Garrick have, maybe a couple conversations at the beginning, where they're talking about, um, Garrick's talking 
about Julius Caesar and how he can't believe that he would not have seen for like foreseen his his death based on everything that is happening and Bashir's like well that's the whole point he wasn't paying attention or whatever which I've never I don't know enough about Caesar to comment on that but I do like when they have their discussions and their disagreements about books and literature and and such late a little bit later after the um the tailor shop blows up and Garrick's in the infirmary Bashir starts telling him about the boy who cried wolf and I was very amused about Garrick saying that the moral of the story is not don't lie it's never tell the same light twice and I just like <laughs> thought that was very funny so there's like a lot of just funny little Garrick bits in this episode that I was extremely entertained with I mean when Garrick's right he's right it's true. And, and like <laughs> that that line and that joke, like, I mean, yeah, it's funny. It works. But it was also, I think, what makes me see of like Garrick's place as like an outsider commenting on human society. Because, again, like as as you and I are hearing Bashir re- retell this tale, it's like, yeah, we know that that's that's the moral that that story is supposed to instill. And Garrick's like. What about this, though? Um. <laughs> right. Um, there's a couple things that are not really plot-related that I wanted to call out real quick before we get into it. Um, well, really just one thing. There's one comment that Garrick makes towards um, his mentor, um, Tane, whose name is Enebrin, Enebrin Tane. And it's basically, like, taunting him for gaining weight since he saw him last and that makes me eye roll and it's like completely unnecessary um but Anna Brentain is played by Paul Dooley who is an actor that's in a lot of things but I know him most as Angela Chase's grandfather on uh, My So-Called Life and he has such a specific face and voice that even in all of the Cardassian prosthetics and makeup, you're just like, that's Paul Dooley. Like there was never a doubt in my mind. So that was, that was really fun to be, to just see him and just be like, yeah, it's a Cardassian, but it's Paul Dooley. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into kind of a little bit more of the, the plot and, and story beats of the, the episodes and kind of our, our first section of the story is the investigation in the explosion at Garrick's shop um, and basically a attempt on what appears to be an attempt on Garrick's life. So we definitely get some um, Detective Odo in this episode. Yeah. Um, at first he... Well... <laughs> Odo seems to know everyone that's on the station at all times. Like, I just feel like he must have some, like, really racist roster. Like, there are three Cardassians. We have two Klingons. We have one Flaxian. Like, he has this list somewhere, and it creeps me out. But he's like, oh, there was a Flaxian on the station. And he assumes that that is who... I don't even remember what made him think that that person would be involved or if it was, was there like an ingredient in the blow up thing that was Flaxian? I don't remember. It doesn't really matter. But that guy was 
apparently selling perfumes and there was this very coy scene where Odo is pretending that he has to buy a perfume, like a personalized perfume for a friend and wants this guy's opinion and he starts mixing things and Odo is like, well, what if if I mix this third thing in it? And the Flaxian guy is like, oh no, don't do that because like basically it's going to blow up. But he pretends that it's like, oh, it, it won't no, smell it's, it's nice. it's not that it's going to blow up. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, <laughs> I don't think your lady friend will like this. But I also, because of this episode, like, that we covered earlier in the season where Odo admits his feelings to a fake Kira. And, like, yeah. in my mind, I'm like, okay, he's buying this per- fake perfume. He's not actually buying the perfume, but Kira came to my mind as the late the potential lady friend that this perfume mm-hmm. was going to be for. <laughs> yeah. I just found that scene to be very playful and Odo just like playing dumb was like very amusing to me. Yeah. And it, it like, it wasn't as, as straight up Columbo as that other episode we covered in the first season where he literally turns around and goes, one more thing. Don't, don't go with Columbo <laughs> thing. But like, it still like gave me those kind of vibes. Cause it's like, <laughs> He's in he's in control and playing like, you know, like he's he's not, right? So Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, so Odo goes to follow this Flaxine guy, thinking that he will take him if he he will lead him to who he needs to find out is involved. And Garrick just like joins him, which is a lot of fun. Um but that guy's ship just like blows up <laughs> and Odo just, like, decides that the Romulans must have hired the Flaxian guy to kill Garrick and and killed the Flaxian when he failed. And that's, like, pretty much what happened, actually. Um, yeah, there's, like, some chemical or something like that in the, the bomb, right? That, like... Yeah, would have been the... Links the, Cardassians, yeah. Yeah. And it, the thing that made me laugh about this is that the Romulans fully admitted that they were like, yeah, we, we, we blew up that guy's ship. And I'm like, you didn't even try. He, they were looking for him for the last year for some sort of crimes. Um, I don't even recall what yeah. they were. But, like, they didn't try to capture him. They just, just blew him up. They just did a murder. Okay. I mean, Romulans can be messy like that. They're cleanly <laughs> messy. I do. Messy, messy, messy. I do find Odo. Sometimes Odo could be very funny. Um, and like sometimes intentionally, I don't mean it in like a fish out of water kind of way. Like sometimes he could be really funny and him commenting that the whole thing doesn't really make sense because you'd think with the uniforms that they have, the Romulans would appreciate a good tailor, meaning like, why would they want to kill Garrick is so funny. See, I, I, I inferred that. Like, that joke is being the opposite way. Like, they would need a good tailor because he didn't like their uniforms. But you've probably rewatched it more recently than me. I just thought but. they, like, I just thought it was a throwaway thing. Like, it was just, like, a, like, a, like, just trying to make light of the situation. Oh, yeah, totally. And then, like, from a, like, meta perspective, um, at the suggestion of Ronald D. Moore, we get new Romulan uniforms this episode. They're not the uh, TNG era ones anymore because 
the you'll remember the TNG ones have the has those giant shoulder pads yes. and that we like, had them a iridescent, few episodes ago. I feel like yeah, the iridescent metallic patterns. It's like why don't why don't we give the Tel Shiar different uniforms? <laughs> so tone it down. Well, like I'm sure that the Obsidian Order and the Central Command have slightly different uniforms, so it, it kind of makes sense that the Tel Shiar would have different uniforms from like other Romulans because they're kind of both the spy organizations right of those two yeah. groups yeah um so I missed I kind of I forgot who Odo went to like go chat with because he said he had some Cardassian dude that he could get information from and like we don't see this guy's face we just see his eyes yeah and he's he that said that was. he doesn't want Odo to we're not supposed to know it's just like a contact that yeah. <laughs> Odo like, has. It's like, like deep throat, but like in space. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Who's um, changed his face since Odo last seen? Oh uh, well, I, that makes him. sense because I feel like these Obsidian Order Cardassian folks are constantly doing face surgery to like get into different places. Um, this is something that comes up a lot in that um, Mirror Universe novel that you had lent me. Like, oh, they yes. took Seven of Nine and made her look, I don't remember if they made her look Cardassian or Bajoran or something like that, but, like, they're they're constantly doing, like, face swaps, so that probably, that guy was probably in the middle of a face swap, but he basically tells Odo, this is a lot bigger than you think, um, there's been a lot of Romulan vessels by the Cardassian border, there's a lot of communication activity, and also five other people that garrick worked with at the in the obsidian order who all worked for that and a guy that we're gonna see again soon died some natural causes some not it's very shady yeah and just like for you know as an aside for listeners uh, elise is talking about is it like dark passions duology is that what it was yes called? yeah i never finished um, it actually i really should get back to that but i read like half of the first one and there was a lot of face swaps yeah yeah it's 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 was a like early 2000s like tie-in fiction duology that was like the mirror like it was like occurred in the mirror universe like of you know the ds9 era yeah and brought in people brought in like the mirror counterparts from like other shows and was generally um like the the women characters were kind of like front facing in that and in hindsight it's probably the first explicitly queer thing i ever read because <laughs> there's there's a lot of sapphic shit going on in that book let me yeah tell there's like i didn't really get to this part but there was some seven of nine like kira stuff but also i feel it's interesting because by putting those types of novels in the mirror universe they were able to be like it's not canon so that they like could basically yeah. say whatever they wanted in those books yeah, and it definitely continues, like we've talked about before, kind of the, like, um, bi and, like, homophobic and queerphobic kind yeah. of flavor of, you know, like, the, the depraved bisexual trope. Right. Um, I, I almost or, regret that we didn't discuss this book, like, last week when we were talking about um, The yeah, Looking Glass. Right? All right. Uh, but anyway. But yeah, we'll if, have to, if like, you want to read it and do, like, an episode on that or don't don't uh don't hold me to that <laughs> anyone please <laughs> well if listeners want to like dive in more again to like recent thoughts on the whole idea of the depraved bisexual trope um that came up in my discussion 
back in November on the Monkey Off My Backlog podcast when we did the 90s noir episode and talked about Catherine Trammell and Basic Instincts. So mm, yes. Catherine Trammell definitely reads like a, a an intendant Kira type character. Um, I highly recommend trope. Yeah, and I highly recommend that episode because it was just excellent and Basic Instinct is a great movie. So after just to like get back on uh, on the plot track after learning all of this odo is very convinced that odo knew the flaxian was going to kill him so he blew up his own shop to get odo into the investigation which seems like a leap to me like i don't know that my brain would have gotten that but also it's a scripted show and that is what odo was supposed to say and Garrick fully admits this later, so he jumped to the correct conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Like, Garrick can never just be like, hey, Odo, can you help me with this? Like, it has to be secretive. Super Garrick. You want, it makes you wonder, like, how, how much and how long Garrick was in his previous life and job that it's like, he can see someone like the Flaxian clock him as an assassin and then basically <laughs> like false flag his own murder <laughs> to get the investigation and like, you know, get the, right. the state protection. <laughs> yeah, it is really interesting. I feel like even if Garrick is a tailor for 10 years, he's still going to act his old ways and do things his own way. So we shouldn't be surprised. Or I shouldn't be surprised. So basically, why Garrick and then some of his other colleagues were, were targeted for murder is because Anabrantain has was basically the J. Edgar Hoover of <laughs> the Obsidian Order. Yes. Um, and I think still is because he knows all about Odo and must have files on everyone just like J. Edgar Hoover did. Um, but he is coming out of retirement and has broached this agreement with the Tal Shiar to launch a first strike against the Dominion and specifically the Founders Mm -hmm. and their homeworld based on intelligence that we saw the Federation give the Romulans as part of the deal with the cloaking device not that long ago. Again, hello for continuity and the more serialized storytelling. We we are are getting into it, folks. Starfleet is the only one that has really dealt with the Dominion going into the Gamma Quadrant, and they have shared their information with the Romulans, as you said, in in trade for the cloaking information. What's interesting to me here, though, is that the Romulans have given the information and the cloaking information to the Cardassians, and you don't realize it until later, but now thinking about it, I'm like, what were the Cardassians getting like giving for this? You know what I mean? Like the Romulans yeah. gave up two really important inf- pieces of information. Like what did the Cardassians give up? And that should have been now knowing the the whole entire plot that it makes more sense because they're not really giving any information, but this whole thing was was it's a trap. But we can get into that in a little bit. <laughs> Not to get too ahead of it, but like going back through the notes, now I'm thinking like the Romulans are giving up all of this and the Cardassians are just like getting lucky, I guess, or they think they are getting lucky. 
Well, what what the Obsidian Order and what Tain specifically are getting out of it is like a return to power and a return to like relevance and getting to be like back in the game, right? With kind of this this massive win of having this basically nuclear first strike against your your enemies, right? And like I kept thinking, watching this ep- these episodes, and as as the plot was unwinding it's un- unwinding itself it's like we're kind of in this like almost cold war like stage between the powers in the alpha quadrant and the dominion and a lot of like cold war rhetoric um related to nuclear first strike capacity um between the united states and and the soviet union and you know, the morality of that. And it's like, okay, if you strike first, then there's going to be the retaliation. And then basically get that like escalation into nuclear Armageddon. Right. So on one hand, I can see Tane's argument that it's like, well, this is, this is a smart, you know, tactical move. Cause we cut off the head of the snake and then, you know, we've, we've removed the dominion threat. I don't know if it would be, that clean like you'd think i don't i mean right. who knows what i think would happen. part of their plan was that if they kill the founders the gem hadar doesn't get their medicine and they'll die too right right um i guess i misspoke before what i meant to say was i know what the cardassians are getting out of this because they are getting power they are getting this cloaking information but what are the romulans getting out of it and that is what should have tipped me off that there was something else going on here because the romulans are not gaining anything I mean, they're going to, they think that they're going to take over the founders, well, some of them, but I don't think they're gaining power like the Cardassians are. We also get introduced to another character named Mila, who Garrett calls when first he starts following up on on Tane before Tane enters the episode, and it was Tane's housekeeper, and says that, you know, Tane isn't home, and blah, 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 blah. And obviously, Garrick was was super close to Tane, and there was obviously implications of a, a really close, like, um, mentor-mentee relationship. Yeah, it because... almost felt like a fatherly relationship to me. Yeah, and so like, because like he's because Garrick's obviously seemingly fond of Mila, and Mila's seemingly fond of 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 Garrick, and Tane being the cutthroat spy master that he is it's like eh, if i come back in power she knows too much so she might be a liability too yeah like, that was damn. really that was really cutthroat and creepy to me um it's like damn daniel and that's how we got to see a little bit about how garrick is different from Tane because he was like well hasn't she proven that she's trustworthy and garrick's not trying to go around kill killing everyone is um well, except, I guess, Golducott, if he's allowed. <laughs> um, at one point, Tane was like, if you join me, we can kill whoever you want. And he was like, "Have you? do you remember Golducott? I thought that was a really mm-hmm. funny call out. I guess I got a little ahead of myself here in the order of things. I mean, that's okay. That's like part of like the benefit of yeah. like covering both episodes at once just because it's kind of hard to like you know talk about them in like isolation and everything right um i wanted to i wanted to talk a bit more about garrick because like the the episode ends like the 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 cliffhanger is 
Tane offers Garrick the opportunity to to come home and start, you know, working for him again and basically get his old job back. <laughs> and he takes it and Odo is a prisoner and yeah, before we get into kind of what happens there, I wanted to ask you about Garrick. Um do you think Garrick is seeking belonging community? family for lack of a, a better word to use like the fatherly analogy there um or is he just like social like power ladder climbing and looking for his his own ends right like where like what do you think is informing garrick's decision to abs- accept tane's offer at this point i think that he said yes because he is someone who does improv and said i'm i'm not trying to be funny here he says yes until he tries to figure out how to get out of something. Um, I think he thinks that yes is his only option right now because the other option is death. I don't think he's... I think he's trying to find out more about Tane's plans and what's going on. So I think it's more of an information-finding thing. I don't know that at this moment in the episodes he's looking for any sort of community. That isn't how I feel later in the episode or later in the second episode, but for right now, I think it's his only option. Okay, what about later in the episode, when it when it seems like he he fully goes goes back to work and, um, yeah, are you ready to get into the heavy shit? I mean, I I don't know that I believe that he's really. I think he's I think he's pretending the whole time. I don't. Think, but he still tortures Odo. Yes, but he does it so he does it so that <clears throat> it's not as bad as the Romulans doing it. Like, I think he was trying to protect Odo, and because if the Romulans did it, it would have been worse. And because he knew, I think that the Romulans might have killed him because he didn't have any information to give them. The information that he was keeping secret was his personal feelings. It wasn't anything about the founders that wasn't known. Did I read this very different from you? No, I I, I don't. I don't know. I don't think that there's like a right read or like a wrong read. It's just like sometimes with Garrick, I think about like that the the thing that Burt Cooper references in in Mad Men, where it's like a man is whatever room he's in or whatever that like you know. I get you saying that he like things like that. So it's like I view Garrick as someone who has learned the best way to keep himself safe and protected is to look out for number one and just be alone, right? You know, being the only Cardassian on the on the station and blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, while he, he knows that and he enjoys, like, being an enigma to folks, especially, like, Julian, um, I think he's also, like... I feel like there's something unsaid or some like unfinished business with with Tane specifically and it's like Garrick's either looking for his approval or belonging or like I don't know at the risk of sounding too cliche like just wants to be loved like does he enjoy doing this I don't think so like I guess basically, I'm. I guess to to reference another um, another <laughs> of my favorite spies, how Philip Jennings is or isn't he? 
<laughs> oh my god like with martha yeah or just like in general like when you know philip like retires but but not and then but then elizabeth gets isolated and then resents philip for like you know retiring basically like right sorry spoilers for the americans (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i don't disagree that i I always think my my dad always calls me out when i say don't disagree like so you agree then (laughs) um i agree that he is probably looking for some sort of resolution i don't know if he knows if it means okay, Tane's going to die or I'm going to die or we're going to be friends and we're going to work together. I feel like he's really just playing this out minute by minute to see the best way that he doesn't die. And I do think that he doesn't want Odo to die either. Um, I mean, and he may feel guilty for having gotten Odo involved in this. That could be part of it as well because that's something that, that comes up a couple times. But I don't think that he's 100% back with Tane at any point in this episode. Sorry. I just thought about at the end where he, like, tries to rescue Tane. I don't think that that was him continuing to say I was going to work with him. I think that was just him. I mean, he does care about him, obviously, and not wanting him to die. And to further, I mean, we still don't really know what happened with them prior. I'm inclined to believe that Garrick didn't turn on all of them. Um, so maybe he just wants to further prove his innocence as well. I don't think Garrick's a bad person. Like, he may have done bad things, but I just, I see so much good in him that I, I don't know. Want to know how I know you just watched Return of the Jedi? (laughs) (laughs) I know, I was like basically quoting the movie word for word. Yeah. Um. (laughs) I thought that as well as I was saying it. It's hard not to view the torture scene by one of our well one of the main characters in this two-part or one of our like reoccurring characters on on the show um torturing another main character and and not think about the war on terror or the iraq war and like what guantanamo and just you know rendition and like all these essentially did i just become like an abu Ghraib apologist in what i said about no i don't i don't i don't think in the real world i would be this nonchalant about it is all i'm i didn't okay let me let me preface by saying i do not think you were coming for me at all that is not i I wasn't no i know you're not but i don't want anyone to think that i like think torture's good and that people that do it are good based on what i said before Continue. I no, and I'm only like bringing it up because like I don't think the episode treats it casually, but like kind of like Kira's whole deal as you know, basically saying hey, terrorism and armed rebellion is is good, cool and good, um, and that would be different if the show had been created post nine eleven. I wonder how this would have been right would it have been more explicit either way because like again you think about torture on tv post 9 11 you had like torture on tv being cool when jack bauer did it on 24 right yeah or i watched someone the shit out of that show to be honest right 
Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there we we did have a cultural bloodlust uh, in the early two thousands. I thought the method of torture was interesting as well. Yeah, it was like this device that looked like something that the Ghostbusters would have um, <laughs> to like stop um, Odo from changing into goo. Yeah, it's it's, it's basically. State. Basically like keeping him notes. awake. At all. I guess, yeah. I feel like it's equivalent of like yeah. that scene in A Clockwork Sleep. Orange when they keep the guy's eyes open forever. Um, yeah, it's, it's sleep deprivation. Yeah. It's like leaving the lights on and blaring fucking Barney or Limp Bizkit or whatever the U.S. <laughs> government in, um, did to detainees. In, in, in one, two, three, itty bitty, teeny weeny, yellow polka dot bikini. Yeah. Um, I feel like there was a scene like that in Lost too. Weren't they doing that to Carl? Alex's boyfriend. I forget what song it was for that. <clears throat> but yeah, you're basically hindering someone from sleep. Um, and the only information that he got out of Odo was that he would like to join the the Great Link again. Because, you know what? It seemed like one big orgy, and that sounds nice. That was me, not Odo, saying that. As soon as he gets that information from him, though, Saeed, uh, <laughs> Garrick has, like, these Saeed from Lost Vibes where he's, like, immediately regretting that he tortured someone. And I appreciate that Garrick didn't give Odo away. He didn't tell anyone. He didn't put it in his report that Odo said that. Um, I just appreciated that. And I don't, I don't think, I really felt like it was torture- Odo or Odo's dies because the Romulans would keep would push it too far. But that right. being said, like they were probably I don't know if they were on camera being watched. I don't know. It's hard. It's not great that he did that. No. But I don't think that Garrick thought he Garrick really kind of represents this kind of like realpolitik kind of, you know, sense of playing kind of understanding the game and understanding the game of thrones um, <laughs> chaos is a ladder <clears throat> yeah and like i think maybe to kind of like segue to like the on station stuff yes um admiral admiral todman who vice admiral we're not trying to get vice admiral, a better title excuse than me. he deserves um who's our only first admiral we see in like operations gold which is interesting normally we see them in in command red um he's, he also has that same similar sense where, <laughs> I'm just that joking. that same sense right because he has that quote of like i never want war major but if there is going to be war fuck the dominion like he doesn't say that but he says i that. mean he basically and it's like i mean he implies that heavily and it's just like damn that's cold yeah, it is really cold. Um, and this whole this whole bit is started by our crew, like Dax and O'Brien, I, I think, seeing that these Cardassian, the Cardassian fleet is coming through, is going through the wormhole, and they're cloaked, and they're like, "Where did they get that technology from?" So they call Starfleet Command immediately, and that's when I remembered that the Obsidian Order is not supposed to have war vessels, and because Tain is involved with the Obsidian Order, that that's who this is. It's not Central Command sending vessels through the wormhole. Yeah. Cisco tells um, Vice Admiral Todman that Odo is on one of the ships. 
And we actually see Michael Eddington again, who I guess is filling in for Odo. He he works on the station, but we don't see him very often because usually Odo is the one in charge of security. But we see him today. Um, and so Cisco asks to take the Defiant into the Gamma Quadrant to rescue Odo. But the Vice Admiral is like, no, I need the, Devi- the Defiant to stay here to protect Bajor. And I love that Cisco was basically like, fuck you. Um... I mean, he didn't say that, but that's how he acted. Um, I'm going to go rescue Odo. You're all, you can all volunteer to come with me. It was very like, who's going to say no? <laughs> Although I was surprised right. that, that Eddington joined them because he is very like, at you know, right now he's very by the book. <clears throat> and the admir- the vice admiral tries to stop them again. <laughs> and Cisco basically does a like, oh, this, the I'm going through the tu- a tunnel. I can't hear you. Sorry. <laughs> Which I thought was very funny. Um, I love when Cisco just like blatantly lies and is like, oh, no, I'm not doing that order. As they get closer into the ga- Gamma Quadrant, though, their cloaking device fails. And we find out that Eddington fucked them over because Vice Admiral told them to. And they're all and o- O'Brien loses his shit. More on that later. <laughs> But O'Brien does eventually fix it, which is great. Love O'Brien fixing things. Do you want to talk about the ending? Yes. Oops. The plan did not work out. It was a trap. They got played! (laughs) This was a fun twist, I thought. Um, I really did not expect that one of the Romulans that we kept seeing that was working with Tane was actually a founder. So he knew as soon as, and it wasn't like he decided, okay, this, this is a plan that the founders, this wasn't a plan that the founders started. They weren't like, okay, let's infiltrate the Cardassians. The Cardassians started to have a plan to do this. And then the founders are like, well, why don't we do, why don't we pretend to be the Romulans so that we can um, infiltrate after because it seems very plausible to me that the Obsidian Order and the Tal Shiar would like, though, would go into business together to do this. Like that seems very plausible to me. And then this also goes back to earlier when I was saying I don't get what the Romulans are getting out of this. They're getting out nothing because the founders did this on purpose. Well, I mean, they thought they were getting security, but yeah. But I'm saying like you. it doesn't matter because they were all fooled. Yep. I did kind of laugh at when Odo, no, I'm sorry. I did laugh when Garrick was like, the fault is not in our stars. And I like made me think of that book that came out that I never read. Yeah, which is itself is like a reference. So like that line and then ultimately like the title of the second episode, the die is cast, all ties back to the the teaser of, of episode one in which um, Ju- Julian and Garrick are discussing Shakespeare and specifically Julius Caesar. Because oh. the die is... The die is cast is a line from from Julius Caesar, as well as the like the fault in our stars. The die is cast, meaning the moment that Caesar and his legions crossed the the Rubicon, which was the river, which they entered Italy in, you know, armed rebellion, basically, um, to overthrow, like to take control of the Senate. Is that also where like the term? crossing the rubicon comes from yeah 100 okay. percent. yep i yep. always wonder that that point of not not going back right because yeah. again you weren't supposed to like like you know 
be like all troopy when you you returned to <laughs> right. Rome. Um and then more specifically like the fault in our stars is from act 1 scene 2 of Julius Caesar in which Cassius who's one of the members of the Senate is trying to convince Brutus that they need to to do something about Caesar because they think hey yo Caesar's going to overthrow the republic and he's going to become a tyrant and a king and the full line is why man he doth he being Caesar doth doth bestride the narrow world like a colossus and we petty men walk under his huge legs and peep about to find ourselves dishonorable graves men at some time are masters of their fate the fault dear brutus is not in our stars but in ourselves that we are the we are underlings hmm. so again meaning that it's like it's not fate that is like condemning them to caesar or like the kingship it's that they are are weak willed Right? Yeah. It's not written in heaven, it's written on earth. Interesting. Um, I have not re- read or seen that play. I have seen Rome season one. That is as close as I've gotten to um, any of this. Yeah. We get a really nice um, Garrick rescues Odo and then Odo rescues Garrick right back bit. Um, but that's around when we find out that that one Rom- Romulan is actually a founder and infiltrated the Tal Shiar. And they're ready to leave, and Garrick's like, "I have to rescue Tane, even even though he sucks." I mean, that's me. That's me editorializing that. Um, <laughs> and Tane is like delusional at this point. Like he's like really just not. He he seems really not with it, and I he just is rambling kind of. Um, and Garrick is still trying to save him, and Odo sneaks up and punches him out to rescue him, and I thought that was brilliant. And I feel like maybe it was a little too perfect at the end when they couldn't get away because the shields were down on the runabout. But at the last second, the Defiant comes through with the rescue. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think Garrick and Odo are going to be friends now with their breakfast meetings? I mean, that's the implication. And like, I think... That's a little too quick, maybe after uh, being yeah. A... That was an, and, and that that's where that feels very like could yeah. be a most Star Trek thing, where it's like, oh, okay, we have this resolved. They'll be friends next episode, you know. Which is why, like, I think the next generation episode family is is so good because it actually deals with some of the like consequences of what it would be like to be assimilated by the board. Yeah, that um, is an excellent episode that makes me cry a lot. Yeah. And like I and I do just want to call out too when the the founder, Rom undercover Telshiar dude. Yeah, yeah. When he like helps Odo and Garrick escape, it's because one founder has never hurt another. Yeah. Right. So there there there's that aspect too, and I don't I don't know if this is the first. I don't remember if this is the first time we heard that or not. But that's a that's important lore yeah, for later. I definitely don't. I, it might be the first time, but I also think it's something that comes up again and again. But now I had a whole other thought about this. If Garrick had let the Romulan do the interrogating, was it that guy or was it going to be a different Romulan? I mean, it probably would have been a different Romulan, but I'm sure they would have. They likely wouldn't want to kill Odo because he's probably worth more alive. Right. But I do think it'd be interesting if that guy was the person who was supposed to torture him and then, like, obviously he wouldn't have. Could have been interesting. 
Well, Elise, I don't know about you, but we've we've been talking for a bit, and I'm feeling pretty thirsty. What about you? I'm definitely parched. I've had to clear my throat a bunch of times during this. I've tried to mute my microphone <laughs> as much as possible during it, so we'll see how that went. But yes, I am definitely <laughs> thirsty. So who are you thirsting for this week? Um, O'Brien about to fucking murder Eddington over fucking over their cloaking device. The way that, like, everyone had to hold him back was extremely hot, and I... You love Matt O'Brien. I do. I love him. He's great. I was just very, like, you tell him, mister. What about you? Yeah, it was. I mean, the closest thing wasn't a particularly thirsty two episodes for me. Right. Um, But I did really enjoy... Odo and the Phylaxian, like that was fun. I just, it really like, was. Competent people at their jobs. What <laughs> My- about your most Star Trek thing of the episode, Elise? And probably that Odo has like a racism board, or he just like knows where which species are on board of the station at any time. Like that is something I feel like just is constant, and it just feels like he has probably like a checkbox somewhere. Well, and also is big into the surveillance state, so I'd like to take my thirst point from the previous <laughs> I'm, conversation. I'm sorry for ruining that for you. <laughs> Do you have any other candidates for most Star Trek thing? Um, probably just also Cisco going against orders when he feels it's necessary, which I think is something that's true of all Starfleet captains. Well, I guess he's not yeah, a captain, it's... but you know what I mean. Like all yeah. Starfleet like head people pick and choose when they're going to follow orders. <laughs> Yeah, they they go to the well for that like dramatic point. Yeah, I did really. They go there so often that it's just like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel like a big deal anymore ever. Although I did really enjoy the oh, we're going through a bad tunnel. I can't hear you, even though that wasn't what they said. But that's like the on land on Earth version of that would have been we're going through a tunnel. I mean, I guess they (laughs) kind of were Star Trek Five. Or like in Star Trek Five, when um, what's Cisco? When Sulu and Chekhov are are lost, and they're talking to the communicator, and Chekhov's blowing like they're caught in a blizzard, and it's like sunny outside. <laughs> Although they could have been like going through a wormhole. Sorry, I thought yeah. of that afterwards. Did you have anything for most Star Trek thing? Yeah, I think uh, it would probably be the. Uh... That now Garrick and Odo are, are, are friends and right. have rushed through the uh, restorative act and forgiveness part of the torture. I feel like um, they would need to go through like intense therapy separately and together to like get over that. Yeah. And I don't yeah. see that happening. Yeah, exactly. Well, until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Storygraph at chicken double underscore attendee. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd at, at MaddieHugh, um, Twitter there too, if Twitter's still alive. <laughs> the, That's why I started adding this my airs. book one. I was like, oh. Yeah. And you can catch us together on Twitter and Instagram at PodRace, and you can also email us at PodRace at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. And thank you again to our editor, Melissa, and DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye. <laughs>